How's it going, Salt Company? Yeah, yeah. I feel that. <laughs> um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jake. Uh, like Stephen said, I'm one of the pastors at Candeo. And if you don't have a, a church family that you worship with on Sundays, uh, and I'm just re-saying what Stephen said. We would love to see you on Sundays. Candeo Church uh, started in 2013 specifically because college students are here. Like, you are the reason. If you weren't here, Candeo Church, we would have gone somewhere else, okay? So, like, we love college students. We would love to see you on Sundays. But I'm so glad you're here tonight. Um, last week, we started the book of Ephesians, and Stephen just did a killer job uh, bringing that first message in our series in Ephesians. And we saw that the thing that motivated and fueled the impact of the Ephesian Christians was their undying love, for Jesus Christ. That was, the, that was the thing that fueled them, that motivated them, that kept them going was this undying love for Jesus. And then as Stephen ended his message last week, I, I loved how he ended that. If you, if you didn't hear it, if you weren't here last week, go listen to the podcast, uh, Salt Cedar Falls on iTunes, uh, wherever podcasts are sold. And you can listen to last week's message, but he ended the message in such a beautiful way, saying that the only thing that will maintain and sustain an undying love for Jesus is if you live astonished by the grace of God. The only thing that can maintain and fuel a passionate love for Jesus isn't if you kind of like conjure up like, like oh, I, know I, should, I know I should love Jesus. I know that I should follow him. I know I should walk in his way. I know I should have an impact for the glory of God on this campus and in this nation and among the nations. I know I should do that, so I'm really, really gonna try hard. What Stephen said last week is spot on, is that you will never have the willpower to be able to sustain a passionate love for Jesus if you have not first understood his passionate love for you. And if you are not astonished by the grace of God, then the whole thing like short circuits <clears throat> right here at the beginning. Jesus has a passionate love for you. And so my job tonight as we continue in this first passage in the book of Ephesians, my job is to show you how God describes this great salvation that he has accomplished in Jesus Christ. My job is to show you the great grace that God has shown you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, what Paul does in, in opening the book of Ephesians is he lays out for us a great view of the grace of God, a great view of our salvation. Salvation. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Like it's a real churchy word, right? I remember I was, uh, this was several years ago, I was driving with a friend of mine, he wasn't a Christian, and he still isn't a Christian. And I'm driving with him, and he, was, he didn't grow up around the church, maybe that's you, maybe this is you tonight. Uh, he didn't grow up around the church, he doesn't know Christianese, right? Us Christians have some weird words, right? And so we got our own language, our own vocabulary. And so we're driving down the interstate and there's this big billboard on the side of the road. It's just, it's just this black billboard, white letters, and it just says, Jesus saves. And my friend, in, in all sincerity, turns to me and is like, dude, I didn't know Jesus was so thrifty. <laughs> <laughs> 
like as though Jesus had gotten on like the Dave Ramsey plan, like he's like making a budget, you know, and, and he's only gonna, he's gonna go, he only goes to Amigos on Mondays because the tacos are a dollar and like, like Jesus is real thrifty, right? He saw Jesus saves and thought, oh, this is like, Jesus is a great financial planner. It's like, oh my word, that's, I can understand where you got that. That's not at all what we're talking about when we hear the word salvation as it relates to Christian salvation. But right here, what we have in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians is probably the most panoramic view of Christian salvation. What does the Bible mean when it speaks of salvation in Jesus Christ? Have you ever done the panorama mode on your phone, you know, where you gotta like keep the, the arrow and the lines and you get this big broad view, right? You may not be able to see anything like real super specific, but you get a real broad view. It's kind of like when you fly into a big city at night. It may not be the best way to explore a city, but it's an unforgettable view of the city. It's a view of the city that you couldn't get anywhere else. And that's what our passage is tonight. That's what Ephesians chapter one, three through 14 is. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna be in verses three through 14 tonight. And just so you know kind of where we're going, okay? Where we're going, the whole reason for Ephesians chapter one, three through 14, is so that we will end this passage being astonished by the grace of God and live lives to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians chapter one, three through 14. The Apostle Paul, what's interesting, so the, the Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible was, was translated, right? And so the New Testament was written in Greek. I don't know if you knew that. But and what's so interesting about our passage tonight is that this is actually one sentence in Greek. It's almost as though Paul was so excited to show us how great this grace of God is that he couldn't even take time to write down a period. He's like, I'm just gonna do run-on sentence after run-on sentence after run-on. Like if your professor was grading this, they'd be like, no, nope, you gotta throw some punctuation there, Paul. Like, I'm sorry you're excited, but like this makes no sense. So if we walk, if, as I read through this, you're like, wow, that's a lot. That's why. It's because Paul was so excited to show us the astonishing nature of the grace of God that he couldn't even stop to put in a period, okay? So if after we get done reading this, it makes no sense, hopefully it'll make sense at the end. So Ephesians 1, verse three, says this. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance 
because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we, who had already put our hope in Christ, might bring praise to his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And so Paul, right, run on sentence, right? What in the world is he saying? All right, so what Paul is doing when he's unpacking this astonishing grace of God, what does he first say? What has God done for believers? Verse three, look back at it. He says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing that you could ever possibly have. In Christ, if you have Jesus, you have every spiritual blessing. Which means that if you don't have Jesus, you don't have any spiritual blessings. In Christ, fullness of spiritual blessing. Apart from Christ, none. Zero. I don't care how many self-help books you read. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to. I don't care how many conversations you have about some sort of like spirituality or, or greater force or whatever it is. Like if that is not rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, if you are not in Christ, if you are not united with Christ in salvation, you have no spiritual blessings. But if you are in Christ if you have been united with Christ, you have every spiritual blessing, which means that all the blessings that Jesus has and enjoys are also yours. And you go, I still don't know what that means. All right. Probably the best picture that we have of this, of this union with Christ, where the fullness of Spiritual blessing in Christ is now ours. The best picture we have of this is marriage. Okay, so imagine that you, you came here to you and I, you're single, you're in ready to mingle, all right? And so you're kind of like, you, you, meet, you meet someone. Guys, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll go this direction. All right, guys, so you meet this girl. You fall madly in love with her and you, you are gonna propose to her like, this is the one, okay? And she just so happens to have a really killer like cat video YouTube channel, okay? That for some reason has like blown up and she's made bank, okay? Which is, that happens, right? That maybe, I don't know. Um, hypothetically, she's just like loaded, all right? But you didn't know this. Like this isn't like I'm going after cat video YouTube channel girls. Like that's my criteria, like that's not you but she's got a ton of money, ton, like a, an insane amount of money, okay? You're madly in love, and you, dude, are dirt poor, because you are. You have no money, barely any, right? You're at Amigos on Mondays. You're, you're the, the stingy guy, right? You guys fall in love, you get engaged, you get married. 
What happens when a poor guy marries a wealthy girl? The poor guy becomes wealthy. You go, that's not fair. Sorry, that's how marriage works. Like, when you're, when you're united in the bond of marriage, right? Especially in Bible times, okay? You gotta think of this through the lens of the people who are hearing the book of Ephesians. Like, especially in, in, in their, through their ears, they're thinking of this union, the union of marriage. You are so united that what's theirs is yours and what's yours is theirs. You'll find this if and when you get married that at some point along the way, you're gonna have the conversation where it's like, no, no, that's not your time, that's our time. That's not, that's not your paycheck, that's our paycheck. This isn't your house, this is our house. Your goes to our really quickly in the union of marriage. That's what is happening in Christ. If you are in Christ, God treats you as if you deserve all the things that Christ achieved. If you are in Christ, if you are united with Christ in salvation, if you have put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God looks at you and says, they deserve everything as much as Christ does. That's the depth of the greatness of this grace. You see, some of you walk through your life and you think, I somehow have to like get more of Christ. Like Jesus, I want you more. And, and, I, and I think I know what you're saying in that. Like you, you, want, you want to experience his presence more. You want to experience, like you want to be more aware of the things that are already true about your in Christ identity. If that's what you mean, awesome. But if what you think is that, well, I somehow have to act this way. I have to do these things. I have to, I have to not do that. And I have to do this so that I'll get more spiritual blessing along the way. So that my in, so that like God will look at me and like he won't have a frowny face. He'll have a happy face. It's like, you don't understand understand your union in Christ. You don't work hard to be a Christian and then, get, and then get blessing along the way. If you're united with Christ, God treats you as if you deserve everything that Christ has achieved. And this is the reason that Paul begins the book of Ephesians in this way, because this is laying the foundation for everything. You can't understand grace if you don't understand that you have been united with Christ. And in him, you have every spiritual blessing. So verse three shows us the great blessing that salvation is, that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. And now verses four through 14 are gonna answer three questions. Three questions that we're gonna answer tonight in the rest of this passage. The first question is, how did you get this blessing? So Paul's saying, Here's the blessing you've been given. Salvation in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. And now he's gonna say, now how did you get that blessing? The second question we're gonna answer is why can you have this blessing? How did you get it and why can you have it? And then the third question we're gonna answer tonight, the third question that this text answers, this isn't, this isn't me making this up. Like I wanna show you from this text where this comes from. 
The third question this text is gonna answer tonight is how can you be confident that you have this blessing? How did you get it? Why can you have it? And how can you be confident that you have it, okay? So, if you are a believer, how did you get the blessing of salvation? All right, this is gonna be the most controversial thing that I say tonight. And for that reason, what we're gonna do on February 6th, so in, I think it's two weeks, we're gonna have an after salt where Stephen and I actually talk about uh, predestination and election, okay? If you don't know what those words are, great. If you do know what those words are, come on out. And we're gonna talk about that and answer some questions. So I'm gonna say some, like, I'm gonna say some things declaratively. I want you to keep an open mind and I want you to come after salt on February 6th so we can talk about this more. But how did you get the blessing of salvation? Verse four, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. If you are a believer, you got the blessing of salvation through God's choosing of you before the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever created, before anyone was ever created, before anyone was ever born, God chose specifically who would receive salvation. God chose you. You see, you and I have a tendency to, to take more credit for things than, uh, than we like, or than we'd like to admit at least. And so if I asked you, if we're sitting at Sidecar, having a cranberry scone, because they're amazing, and, <laughs> and I asked you, how did you become a Christian? The answer you might give is, I chose to be one. I, just cho I chose to become a Christian. I chose to do it. And for some, the emphasis would be on your choice. Like, I'm a Christian because I chose to be a Christian, which if we're sitting, again, this is a friendly environment. If we're sitting across the table, I go, okay. But why did you choose Christ? I hear you saying that you chose him. My question is, why did you choose him? Why did you choose Christ when there are many people in a similar situation as you who haven't chosen Christ? Now in that moment, probably what you wouldn't say, most people won't say this, most people wouldn't say this, probably what you wouldn't say is, well, I responded in faith because I was smarter than everyone else or I responded in faith because I was wiser than a person like me in a, in a similar situation who hasn't responded in faith. You probably wouldn't say that. You probably wouldn't say, I responded in faith because I'm better, because I'm better. You probably wouldn't say that at all. I doubt that any believer here would say that because here's what's true, is that our response of faith to God's salvation in Christ 
is only because of God's gracious choice to open your eyes to want to choose Christ. It's only because of God's gracious choice to open your eyes to make you even see Christ as beautiful. You see, this, this is a lot of people's stories. Maybe this is your story tonight. Maybe for you, maybe you grew up going to church. Maybe you've heard the gospel a lot. Maybe, maybe you didn't grow up going to church, but you started coming to Salt Company and you've heard the gospel a ton. You heard it a lot last semester. And for, for a lot of people, they've heard the gospel like a hundred times. But then there was that one time. There was that one time where you heard the gospel and it was like you were hearing it for the first time. Why is that? I was talking to someone, just, uh, this, was, this was a couple months ago now, but I was talking to them. This is someone that I'm really close to. They're, and they have heard the gospel, they had heard the gospel for 40 years. 40 years. That's a long time. They had heard the gospel probably thousands of times. And it was just last summer that they finally responded in faith to the gospel. And I remember sitting across from them knowing that they, they have heard the gospel like their whole life. And I said, why now? Like, what changed? Like, why after 40 years of hearing this same message, what was it? Like, what was it that changed? And they simply looked at me and said, I don't know, it just clicked. It finally clicked. That's their story. Maybe that's your story. And when you hear a story like that, you have to go, why? How does that happen? Why does somebody respond to the gospel? Well, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says this. This is, this is the explanation. This is, this is how that happens. Like, why for you, after hearing the gospel so many times that it just click, here's why. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's, a, that's the creation event, right? The earth was formless and void. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, is that in the same way that God created light in the creation, just by the word of his power, he created it. And there was light in the same way. That's what happens when God says to an individual, I have chosen that person. Now their eyes are open. He says to the spirit, the soul that is within you, let there be light and your eyes are opened. That, that it just clicked moment was God through his Holy Spirit doing a creation event in you. So that when you wanted to respond to the gospel, it's because God had already opened your eyes to see the beauty of it. He had created within you sight when you are blind. You see, apart from God, apart from the grace of God, you and I are born in a spiritual condition called sin. And here's what sin does. Sin makes us blind. Sin doesn't make us 
uh, like spiritually impaired, okay? Sin makes us blind. We are by nature blind, like no sight, complete darkness. And it's only God's specific grace that creates within us sight where there was no sight. Without the grace of God, we are blind, unable in our own strength to see him and choose him. Apart from the grace of God, the Bible describes us as being spiritually dead. We're gonna get to that in Ephesians chapter two. That's coming up in a couple weeks. Apart from the grace of God, we are spiritually dead. Dead. Like, dead. No movement, no life. What kinds of things do dead people choose? Nothing. They're dead, right? If they, if they could choose something, then they wouldn't be dead. But they are dead. Do you get what I'm saying? Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. Apart from Christ, we are not only dead, we are dead enemies of God. Romans 5, verse 10. So check this out. Spiritual, dead blind, enemies of God only have the will to choose what is in accordance with their nature. Spiritual dead enemies of God have a free will, absolutely, but that free will is only as free as their nature allows. And what is our nature apart from the grace of God? We're blind, dead enemies of God. The only thing we want to choose is anything besides God. You see, it wasn't according to your intellect that God chose you. It wasn't according to your goodness that God chose you. God didn't look into the future and see that you were going to choose him and then choose you based on that. No. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's choosing of you, verse five, is according to the good pleasure of his will. And in case we didn't get it the first time, verse 11, in agreement with the purpose of his will. So, Imagine on the way home tonight, you get in a car accident. Down, it's not a long drive, sure, but you get in a car accident. You're going pretty fast, and so your, your windshield shatters, and it severs your carotid artery. Like, that's a big deal. That's a problem, right? Like, if a piece of glass severs an artery, if a piece of glass severs you at all, that's a problem, but let alone one of your arteries, okay? And so you're driving home, car accident, artery severed. And you're rushed by ambulance to Allen Hospital, but you've lost so much blood that you don't know who you are, you don't know where you are, you don't know what happened, you don't know what's going on. Your heart monitor, you've gone unconscious, you've lost so much blood, just imagine this. You've gone unconscious, your heart monitor has flatlined. Your heart has stopped beating. But in a last ditch effort, 
like, the, like a Hail Mary moment on the part of the hospital staff, what they do is they pump, they, they give you a blood transfusion. They go, they've lost so much blood. They give you a blood transfusion. They pump blood back into your veins when you had already bled out and they shock your heart with the paddles things, you know, like clear, and they shock your heart, okay? And your heart starts beating again. In that moment, you're filled with the blood that's been freely given by someone else. And you're shocked with a power that is totally outside of you. In that scenario, you have received a gift. But how did you receive it? You received it purely by the gracious initiative and choice of someone else on your behalf. When you get the blood transfusion, when you get shocked back to life, you've received a gift, but did you receive the gift in the same way that you like, like received your Christmas presents? Was this like a, I chose to grab that and take it and unwrap it and then I chose to open the box? It's like, you received a gift, but it was because somebody else infused you with life. Believers receive the blessing of God's grace in salvation in the same way that a trauma victim receives a blood transfusion. It's purely by the grace of God. It's purely by the grace of God. If you are a believer in Jesus today, here's the thing. It isn't because, it isn't firstly because you took the initiative to choose God. But it's because God first took the initiative to choose you. Not based on your merit, not based on your credentials, not based on any faith he would have seen you. How would you have chosen faith apart from the grace of God? It's because he set his eye and affection on you according to the good purposes of his will. God took the initiative to choose you, which by the way, should bring incredible rest to your soul, should it not? The fact that your salvation has been secured because of God's first choosing of you should bring incredible rest to your soul because you know that salvation isn't based on the strength of your choice, but it's based on the strength of his. Our choices are fickle, aren't they? How many times do you change your mind? How many times do you choose something different? How many times do your taste and preferences? If your salvation is based on your own choice and your own grip on God, man, what a crazy anxious life you would live. The salvation of believers is based on the strength of God's choice. And so the question isn't, well, why then are some people chosen for salvation and some people not? The question is, why are any chosen at all? dead, blind, enemies of God, the fact that anyone is chosen is a giant spotlight on the massive grace of God toward you. We'll talk about this more after Salt on the 6th. So come with your questions. We'll love it. All right, real quick, that's most of the message. So each point isn't that long. All right, so 
<laughs> How do believers receive the blessing of salvation? We're chosen by God. So why can you have this blessing of salvation? Because you've been redeemed by Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit. How can we have it? We're chosen by God. Why can we have it? Because we've been redeemed by Christ and chosen and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So when I, I finished up my undergrad living in Chicago and on my way to one of my favorite coffee shops, I would be walking from my apartment to the coffee shop and in between there, there was this impound lot, right? Where they take cars that have been towed. And you can imagine how big this, uh, this parking garage was, right? Because it's Chicago and everyone parks where they're not supposed to because there's no parking anywhere. So whatever. So I'm walking by this parking garage. I'm, I walk by this thing all the time. And you look over into the, into the big door of the garage and right there's this huge sign with a big arrow and it says Redemption Center, right? Because that's where you go to get your car out of impound. And unbeknownst to them, I, I was always fascinated by it because unbeknownst to them, they're actually using redemption in a really biblical way. Here's what it means. Redemption literally means to rescue from captivity. When you go to get your car at the impound lot, you go having to pay a fee to rescue your car from captivity. Your car has been captured and you're not getting it back unless you pay the fine, right? <laughs> like, and when, when you go to the, to the redemption center to redeem your car, you pay the fine and they stamp with a big stamp, bump, bump on your thing, redeemed. I'm dead serious, that's what happens, at least at this one in Chicago. It's such a biblical way to think of that, right? Jesus Christ has redeemed you and I. God has chosen us. We can have salvation because God's chosen us. Why can we have it? Because Jesus Christ has paid the price on our behalf to redeem us out of captivity, to buy us back. The only way a car would get driven out of that impound lot is if the price had been paid. In the same way, the only reason why chosen believers can have the blessing of salvation is verse seven. Look at verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Jesus didn't just pay half. Jesus didn't go to the redemption center and say, I'll put down my half, now it's your job to put down your half. And then that way you can walk out of here. Jesus paid it in full. The price has been paid in full on your behalf. So you've been redeemed by Christ and we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 and 14. In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. Back here in biblical times, like when they heard the word sealed, they would have thought like a letter from a king. And when a letter the seal of the king, when a seal of the king is on the letter, it both, it both proves its authenticity and its authority. When that seal is on that letter, that's like this is from the king. Like this is from the king because it has the king's seal. But not only that, anything that is in this letter has the authority of the king attached to it. You have been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ, 
you have been filled with the Holy Spirit and sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the seal of your authenticity by the authority of the King of the universe. If you are in Christ, you are sealed in Christ. And when you are sealed in Christ, here's the thing. When you're sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit, your security in Christ is as strong as the Spirit's ability to keep you. You are secure in Christ. You're as secure in Christ as the Spirit's ability to keep you, Christ's ability to redeem you, and God's ability to choose you. You are not secure in Christ based on how tight your grip is on Christ. That's monkey theology. Here's what I mean. Have you ever seen a monkey carry their young? Have you ever seen that? No? Okay. Baby monkeys, watch it sometime. Baby monkeys, the way that they, the way that they are carried around is they cling for dear life onto their mom. Like, clinging for dear life. The, the, it seems like the parent monkey is totally unaware that the, other, that the monkey's there. It's just like, like, that monkey's along for the ride as long as the monkey's holding on. How do cats carry their young? Totally different, right? They pick them up by the scruff of their neck, the little kittens in their mouth, and carry them around, and the kitten just kind of dangles there. <laughs> right? That kitten's doing nothing, okay? That kitten is being carried along by the power of its parent. Your salvation is secure, not based on the strength of your grip on God. We should abide in Christ. We should walk in obedience, all those things. But the basis of the strength of your salvation isn't based on the strength of your grip. It's based on the strength of God's. It's based on the strength of the Spirit to seal you, of Christ to redeem you, and of God to choose you. So, how did you receive the blessing of salvation? You were chosen by God. Why did you receive the blessing of salvation? You've been redeemed by Christ, sealed by the Spirit. Real quick, I know I'm over time. You can know, how can you know that you have received this blessing? How can you know? It's in here three times. Grace becomes glorious to you. Paul didn't write these words to start a fight. He wrote these words so that you would see the beauty of the grace of God towards you and that you would be astonished by his grace towards you and then that you would see grace as glorious and live a life of praise. You see that? In verse six, look at verse six. We've been predestined and adopted, and adopted to the praise of his glorious grace. Look at verse 12. We've been redeemed and predestined so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. And then verse 14. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit who's the down payment of our inheritance to the praise of his glory. What is the response of people who have been chosen, redeemed, and sealed to be? The response is that we are astonished by the glorious nature of the grace of God and we live lives of praise to him. There was no good in you worth choosing. There wasn't. 
Don't think too highly of yourself. There was no good in you worth choosing, but God chose you anyway. And when you and I see that grace is glorious, it will result in a lifestyle of praise. See, here's the thing. You don't get to choose whether you praise something or not. You don't get to choose whether you live a life of praise. The only thing you get to choose is where is your praise directed? You and I will live lives of praise to something. Are you living your life in praise to the glorious grace of God? Do you really see that God's grace is glorious? And is the posture of your life one of praise? Are you known by being someone who's astonished by the grace of God and lives to the praise of his glory? So, this is how Paul lays the foundation for everything else in the book of Ephesians. So that you and I would be astonished that God has chosen us. Not because of our merit, that we would be astonished that Christ has redeemed us, not because of our contribution. And that we would be astonished that the Holy Spirit has sealed us, not because of our strength, but because of his. Can you imagine what your life would look like? Can you imagine what your dorm floor would look like? Can you imagine what your workplace would look like? What would it look like if you lived a life of praise to his glorious grace? Do you see his grace as glorious? We're gonna see in the coming weeks, what does it look like to live a life to the praise of God's glorious grace. And I pray that the Spirit will help us to understand what that looks like in our particular situations. Let's pray.